Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Yokohama tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is the best of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Yesterday, as we went off the air, there were details coming out about this Ezekiel Elliott fight that's going on between Ezekiel Elliott and this woman who alleged that he beat her up. And in particular, Yahoo Sports, through Charles Robinson, had found... Uh, excerpts of the 160-page investigative report that dove into exactly what happened between these two people. And in particular there, there were allegations that this woman had been interested in blackmailing Ezekiel Elliott through release of a sex tape and that she was going to require him to give her money. Otherwise, she was going to try to make things look bad for him. There also have been allegations in a local Dallas newspaper that she threatened him, that there are witnesses saying she promised that she was going to get him in trouble, that basically this situation has gone ugly. And that as a result, there are many questioning whether or not she is telling the truth about the domestic violence. Here are quotes from that Yahoo Sports story. The NFL's forensic experts also recovered evidence from Ms. Thompson's phone that she had registered an email address titled Ezekiel Elliott Sex Vids during the month of August 2016. Uh, In addition, a text message with her friend uh, is recovered that showed them talking about their need to make more money and Miss Thompson raised the idea of selling the sex tapes she had of herself and Mr. Elliot. Her friend said they should blackmail Mr. Elliot with them and they'd become millionaires. The woman replied that she'd like to but was scared. 
when she was asked about this by the league's investigators, she stated she did have sex tapes of her and Mr. Elliott on her phone, and she did open the email account, but she denied doing so to blackmail Ezekiel Elliott. Okay, all of these details coming out are starting to raise intriguing questions about the scope of the NFL's investigation, about the reliability of this woman, about whether or not Ezekiel Elliott should have been suspended for six games. Now, he has appealed, but there remains some uncertainty about what that appeal is going to look like. And as they have been going on, they have gotten into now a broader fight that I want to read to you has spilled over into the NFLPA as well as the NFL Owners Association, basically here. The NFL Executive Vice President of Communications sent out this email uh, to everyone, this statement, in the wake of that Yahoo story. Over the past few days, we've received multiple reports of the NFLPA spreading derogatory information to the media about the victim in Ezekiel Elliott's discipline case. It's a common tactic to attempt to prove the innocence of the accused by discrediting the victim, in this case, Ms. Thompson, when coming forward to report such abuse. Common or not, these tactics are shameful. Efforts to shame and blame victims are often what prevent people from coming forward to report violence and or seek help in the first place. That's the NFL statement sent out yesterday afternoon. Then this response came from the NFL Players Association, and you just think, wow. Here's what the NFLPA said. The public statement issued on behalf of every NFL owner is a lie. The NFLPA categorically denies the accusations made in this statement. We know the league office has a history of being exposed for its lack of credibility. This is another example of the NFL's hypocrisy on display and an attempt to create a sideshow to distract from their own failings in dealing with such serious issues. They should be ashamed for stooping to new lows. This story to me is absolutely incredible. Here are some other details that are out there. Um, the woman allegedly lied, lied to the Columbus Police Department during its investigation and in, attempted to induce a witness to fabricate an account of domestic violence. She allegedly made threats to Ezekiel Elliott about ruining his career, and she allegedly called him in a harassing manner uh, over that period of time. All of these things help to explain why there were no charges filed by the Columbus, Ohio Police Department. But I want to put on my proverbial lawyer hat here with you and talk about this case in a way that I think is probably going to be more intelligent than anybody else is talking about this case anywhere else in sports media. So I want you to follow me along in this story, if you would. First of all, we have entered an era where individual cases are now often grouped into larger societal trends, and people don't worry about the individual case facts. 
they worry about the larger societal trend. Let me explain what I mean by that. There is no doubt that domestic violence and violence against women from men is a common occurrence in our society. It happens all too frequently. That is, women get beaten up by men. They get sexually assaulted by men. That Those things definitely happen. And there is also no doubt that many women may not go public or cooperate with authorities because of a variety of reasons, including the fact that they don't believe they will be believed by the police or other people out there in the general public. Those things are incontrovertibly true. My problem becomes when you use a larger societal issue to determine what happened in an individual case, you are breaking the most cardinal rule of investigative procedure anywhere, which is the larger universe doesn't matter. All that matters are the particular facts of your case. This is what they teach you in law school. You may think that murder is an awful problem and that everybody who commits murder deserves the death penalty. Because that's true does not mean that your individual client who has been accused of murder did it and deserves the death penalty. Do you understand that distinction? Because it's a big one and I feel like people are making decisions about what they believe on individual specific cases, not based on the facts of those cases, but based on their larger opinions of an issue. So we line up now all too often in this social media age based not on the specific instances of a case, but based on our larger opinion of a major societal issue. And when the NFL here says, oh, Ezekiel Elliott is victim shaming and victim blaming, I got to take a step back and say, those phrases make no sense in this particular case. I have worked in the criminal justice system representing people charged with heinous crimes. I have done sexual harassment investigations and sat across the table and listened to a man and a woman both tell me exactly opposite sides of a story. Ezekiel Elliott's attorneys and representatives here are obligated under their legal ethics duties to defend him to the fullest extent of the law under our adversarial system. The only way to defend Ezekiel Elliott when he says he's telling the truth is to attack the woman who is accusing him of beating her up. That doesn't mean that you're saying domestic violence isn't a significant issue. That doesn't mean that you're saying sexual assault is not a significant issue. When you attack the credibility of an individual woman, you're focused on your individual case. We've got to stop this idea that that is victim shaming or victim blaming. That's the very essence of our adversarial system. And I talked about this a little bit at the end of the show yesterday, but if you want to think about this in a way that might make sense, I bet just about everybody out there has read or read the cliff notes, and you should have read the book, you knucklehead, for To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. If you haven't read To Kill a Mockingbird, it's a magisterial story set in back in the Jim Crow South in Alabama 
And the story is Atticus Finch, a Southern attorney, is given the defense assignment of Tom Robinson, who's a black man accused of raping a white woman in that era of the South. And he puts, Atticus Finch does, Mayella Yule in this story. You can also watch the movie if you're a lazy guy, don't want to read the book, but I would encourage you to read the book if you skipped it when you were a kid. He puts Mayella Yule, the white woman who's accused the black man of beating her, on the witness stand, and he aggressively cross-examines her, and as a result, proves that she was not telling the truth. Okay? So that is, at its most basic essence, that is victim-shaming. That is victim-blaming. Atticus Finch is proving, by aggressively questioning that woman, that what she said is not true. It's a lie. So I want you to follow me back around here. I'm not making a judgment here on whether or not this woman is telling the truth. I'm merely saying this is the very essence of what the job of a lawyer is, is to question the woman in this situation. And what I'm asking all of you to do is recognize that just because domestic violence is an issue and just because sexual assault is an issue does not mean that Ezekiel Elliott is guilty in this particular instance. Just because some woman, women are afraid of going public because they won't be believed does not mean that some women don't lie about rape and sexual assault allegations and domestic violence allegations. It also doesn't mean that just because this woman contemplated blackmailing Ezekiel Elliott, that she also couldn't have been beaten. We have got this strange, what I'm calling Disneyfication of life going on in our country right now, where everybody has to be either good or evil, right? There's no middle ground. Ezekiel Elliott has to be evil, and this woman has to be good, or Ezekiel Elliott has to be good, and this woman has to be evil. Look into your own lives. It's early in the morning. Some of you have probably already been good and evil before you even finished your damn breakfast. American life and world life, human life, is not Disney-fied. We are none of us either good or evil. We all live in between those parameters. And so this woman could have been beaten and she could have tried to blackmail Ezekiel Elliott. Or Ezekiel Elliott could be innocent in this case and the woman could be guilty. We don't know exactly. But what I want to encourage all of you to do is I want to encourage all of you to look at the individual facts of a case and not use individual cases to justify your pre-existing worldview. Think about the Duke lacrosse case. All of those kids at Duke were considered guilty because they were white lacrosse players accused of raping a black stripper. They did absolutely nothing wrong. The woman was a liar. Yet immediately everybody prejudged them because of their existing worldviews. They didn't look at the individual facts of a case. The first thing you learn in law school in cases such as these is don't think about what you believe about the larger universe or the larger world. 
represent your client, focus on the individual facts in your case. You're not litigating whether or not domestic abuse is bad or whether or not sexual assault is bad. You're litigating whether or not your client did it, and you have a zealous obligation to defend him to the fullest extent of your abilities, which is exactly what Ezekiel Elliott's attorneys are doing. That's what they're supposed to do. That's what our criminal justice system was designed to do. It's not victim shaming or victim blaming. It's zealous advocacy from an adversarial perspective designed to figure out what the truth is. This is the very basis of our justice system. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Yesterday's Game of Thrones uh, secret release online. Uh, If you're a Game of Thrones fan, episode six leaked. And so I talked about that a lot. I watched it yesterday and it's phenomenal. Maybe the best episode of Game of Thrones that's ever existed. Jason Martin, did you watch it yet? No, uh, and I thought about it, and I think I'm going to wait until Sunday as hard as it's going to be just because, I don't know, I have a little bit more of a tie-in with my relationship with HBO, with what I'm doing, so I just, I'm going to play it safe on this one particular, but I also have to pretty much avoid all social media as much as possible. Like, I have to basically stick to my own page when I'm posting stuff and avoid, because I haven't seen anything yet, but I know it's all over the place, so I'm having to be awfully cautious. I really badly want to see it, but... I can wait until Sunday. And watch Danny it G, HD. Justin, did you guys watch it? Yeah, I did. Do you have the same moral trepidation that Jason <laughs> Martin does there? Um, no, especially since I feel like HBO probably leaked it intentionally. But uh, I- I'm usually against watching things ahead of time. But it was it was leaked so far in advance that I thought it was just it's too risky to to navigate the the social media landmines of spoilers. So I just I had to get it out of the way to make sure that didn't happen to me. Yeah, you know, I try to read my mentions, and I kind of made a similar decision because I know somebody's going to come in and talk about what happened in Game of Thrones in my mentions, and I would rather see it myself. Now, I'll still watch it again on Sunday, and it's a phenomenal episode, but to me, HBO leaked it, and uh, if you don't know the story, HBO Spain put it out, and that makes it, to me, pretty easy to decide whether or not to watch it. Once they accidentally put it out, then it's out there publicly. It's a news story, especially given how much attention there is. And so I didn't feel bad at all about watching it. What about you, Danny G? Did you watch it? I didn't, and I log on to Twitter when I wake up yesterday afternoon, right? First thing I see is a spoiler. Yep. I was so irritated. But I, I'm i going to wait because it's kind of a, you know, and, and I'm not alone in this. It's a, not a tradition, but a routine that I have with my girl. That's how we end the weekend is we watch that show together. So... You know, I didn't want to be a jerk and watch it by myself. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of guys and girls probably out there are going to lie and say they didn't watch it because they don't want to, you know, spoil things for their significant other. Uh, I went ahead and told my wife, I was like, look, it's out there. If you want it, here's the link. You can go watch it. Uh, But uh, we're going to watch it again on Sunday regardless, and uh, I won't miss it. But I write about it, so it actually makes it a lot easier for me because – instead of watching the episode, then going and doing my live immediate reaction show. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, we do a live immediate reaction show. You can find it by just searching me out on Twitter at Clay Travis or even searching me out on Facebook, Clay Travis. You can watch it through either of those mediums. 
and then I write about it too. So I'm up late on Sunday night before we turn around and get up early on Monday morning to do the show. So this makes it a lot easier for me. I can watch the show, do my reaction video, then click publish on my uh, on my review of the episode, and uh, and we'll be off and running. And it's it's really easy to uh, to set up. So I think that makes a big difference. Uh, in more significant news here in the world of sports, Ezekiel Elliott screwed. We're taking your calls on. The reaction of the NFL uh, to uh, the, the details of this report coming out uh, to the allegations of victim shaming and victim blaming that have gone back and forth between the NFL official league office and the NFLPA. And I believe we have a bunch of calls. Who should we go to, Jason Martin? Let's go to Juan in Pennsylvania. Juan in Pennsylvania. What's up, Juan? Hi, Clay. Yeah, I just had a question for you. I know that there's been the conflicting uh reports about what happened do you think what she's doing is actually working in her favor now because she just made him look bad if that was her intention yes she won there be repercussions for her i mean there's a lot of things that happen to a lot of athletes and nothing nobody ever hears of what happened to the accusers that were falsely accusing athletes do you think she should get a backlash even though she's not going to get any it's a great question it's a great question. We have totally unequal bargaining positions here. This girl has almost nothing to lose. Ezekiel Elliott has millions to lose. And she knew that if you read some of her text messages and you read some of these allegations, she knew that Ezekiel Elliott had more to lose. Now, I want to reiterate this. It's possible that Ezekiel Elliott beat her up and that she then tried to blackmail him and make millions of dollars. In other words, it's possible that both of these individuals are not great human beings, right? I mean, that's that's what you often find when you're involved in criminal uh, criminal cases. It's very rare that you have a clean, pristine individual charged with a crime who is determined to have done nothing wrong, and then on the other side, we have an evil person, right? And this is what I've been talking about in general. I think our society, it's fascinating to me because in like the pop culture that we consume, nuance is everything, Right? We root for all these anti-heroes, whether it's Tony Soprano, whether it's the Game of Thrones characters. We crave complexity in the television that we embrace. Breaking Bad, Walter White, The Wire. In the best television conveys the complexity of life, and they are very rarely good or bad characters, right? There are people who are somewhere in between, and that's why we connect to them because we understand in our own lives that every day, Every single person out there listening to me in all 50 states, all 250-plus radio stations, every single day, you guys make decisions that are both good and bad. And that's because you're human. And we understand that. But in social media, we have created this artificial dichotomy between good and evil. And it works for the Ezekiel Elliott case. It works for our politics. It works for this new controversy about Charlottesville, about Baton Rouge, Dallas, like Black Lives Matter, are they good or evil? Uh, the uh, the guys who protest the uh, the coming down of the uh, Confederate statue, some of them are Nazis, some of them are not. Are they good or evil? The reality is nobody's all good and nobody's all evil, right? Yet in our society today, we insist on a bipolar nature of defining people as good or evil. And so that happens in larger issues too. It's like, I think the reason why the NFL is suspending Ezekiel Elliott here is because they're afraid of being labeled too easy on domestic violence, as if they are somehow okay with domestic violence. You can think the NFL made a bad decision here, which I do, 
and also not believe that the NFL is necessarily wrong in the way they responded on Ray Rice. I'm, I'm not – see, what people get upset about a lot of times when they listen to this show is most of media right now, they come in and they tell you, this is awful, this is good. This is good, this is evil. Because being strongly on one side or the other allows you to grab a big audience because people gravitate towards the idea that something is either 100% right or 100% wrong. If you listen to this show regularly – what you will find is that I very rarely say things like that. I oftentimes dive into the nitty-gritty of details and nuance because I think that's where most stories live. And that's why I'm so big on what are the facts here. That's why I read as much as I could about this Ezekiel Elliott case because I'm not going to be the guy who comes into the show and says, well, you got to suspend Ezekiel Elliott because domestic violence is wrong. Well, wait a minute. Everybody out there knows that domestic violence is wrong. I don't think there are very many guys out there who are like, you know what we need more of? Guys beating up women. I believe that most people know it's wrong. Because you know something is wrong does not mean that an individual did it, right? And that's where a lot of people can't make that next step. They're like, oh, uh, you know, that's why I, I have an issue with a lot of these protests. Like Michael Bennett's talking about how we need more people protesting like against racism. I'm like, wait a minute, Michael Bennett. Do you really think very many NFL players are like, you know what, I love racism? No. So in this situation, what is so fascinating to me is there's no evidence that proves that Ezekiel Elliott committed domestic violence. Certainly not evidence that would suggest he should be charged with a crime. The NFL itself in its own investigation found that this woman is not entirely reliable. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that she's lying. Most people, if you investigate them aggressively, are not always going to be perfect witnesses. Just about everybody out there listening to me today will tell a lie today. Just about everybody, probably all of you, all of us, will say something that is untrue today, even if you're trying to be honest all day. That's because we're human and humans are flawed. When you work in the criminal justice system, you see people at their absolute worst. Imagine the worst thing you've ever done. Now imagine that you got charged for a crime with it and everybody knew. That's what the criminal justice system is. It's humiliating to the people who are involved with it. You have to recognize our common humanity when you are a criminal defense attorney. Good people can do bad things. Bad people can do good things. That's what life is. And so what I'm encouraging you to do is always look at the facts. Listen to this show. Share this show. Say, hey, we're going to try to be smarter about stories like these. And don't just assume that because domestic violence is an issue, that that means Ezekiel Elliott is guilty and he's got to miss games. And don't just assume because some women are afraid to go public with domestic violence or sexual assault, that that means every woman is telling the truth every time she alleges domestic violence or sexual assault. That's just as bad of a bias as the bias that used to be in favor of men in cases like these. We oftentimes in society don't swing from bias to unbiased, right? I said this after the OJ case. After OJ got parole, I said, you know why the reason why OJ Simpson got off? Because guys like Emmett Till got killed unjustifiably. OJ Simpson was the beneficiary of the murder 
of guys like Emmett Till back in the 1950s and 60s in this country. That's why O.J. Simpson got off. Because our criminal justice system doesn't swing from biased to fair. It swings from oftentimes biased on one side to biased all the way on the other side. And I think that's where we are right now in cases of sexual assault and domestic violence in public. If you're accused of them, you're basically guilty in the eyes of the public. Why? Because people think that domestic violence and sexual assault are underreported and undercovered crimes. So we're going to swing entirely on the other side and say women almost never lie about these cases. Well, that's not true. Some women lie about domestic violence and sexual assault. That's why you have to go to the individual circumstances of every case. Think about that on the O.J. Simpson case. O.J. Simpson has clearly committed double murder. He's not guilty. Why was he not guilty? Because of a legacy of discrimination and racism that exists in the criminal justice system that persuaded that jury to believe that he was not guilty. Where does that legacy come from? Cases like Emmett Till, where you got a young black kid who goes down to Mississippi, does nothing wrong, and ends up dead. O.J. Simpson cashed in, even though he was guilty, on the legacy of Emmett Till. We don't swing from one side of complete evidence, complete uh, complete justice to the other side of complete justice. We don't go from bias to justice. We swing back and forth. The pendulum isn't even. It's broken oftentimes. And that's because the general public doesn't look at the individual facts of a case. They look at larger societal trends. So I always say, Don't worry about larger societal trends. Look at the specific facts of the case. If you didn't know anything about O.J. Simpson's race, everybody who looked at that case would have said, damn, O.J. did it. Right? That's what I try to do. I try to strip away all pre-existing conditions that I might have, all biases, and look at the specific facts of the case and say, what's the story here? And that makes some people uncomfortable. Because a lot of people can't do that. They want to bring their bias. They want to say, well, Clay Travis, why why are you going after Colin Kaepernick for protesting? And I say, well, all right, let's look at what he's protesting. Is he making things different? Is he making things better? My answer is no. Some people out there are like, you're a white guy. You can't tell a black guy not to protest. Well, I can look at the facts of what's going on and say that his protest is crap. And you've heard this show for a while. We'll open up the phone lines. People are like, you're racist for saying that. Really? Really? Or am I just looking at the facts and those facts make you uncomfortable and therefore your feelings get all worked up and you're using your feelings to argue that I'm racist or sexist or homophobic, transphobic or whatever it is. That's what's going on in this case. Roger Goodell suspended Ezekiel Elliott for six games, not because of what Ezekiel Elliott did, but because of the larger societal trend here. He knew if he suspended Ezekiel Elliott for six games, even if Ezekiel Elliott didn't do it, that people would say, look at Roger Goodell. He thinks domestic violence is bad. Good for Roger Goodell, which is the exact opposite of what they said when he only suspended Ray Rice for two games. Only way Roger Goodell loses his job is if these interest groups start to call for his job and the NFL owners say, you got to go, Rog. We're not taking flack for you anymore. So Roger Goodell, what does he do? He comes out and he suspends a guy for six games, even though Ezekiel Elliott, in my opinion, has not been proven to do anything wrong at all. 
And again, it's possible that Ezekiel Elliott beat this girl up and she lied about him. And she tried to extort him. And she tried to blackmail him. All those things could still be true. We don't know for sure. Life is messy. People are not frequently heroes all the time. And they're not frequently the devil all the time either. We all, every single one of us, deal dwell in the, in the shade of gray between good and evil every single day. And most people can't comprehend that and most people don't want to acknowledge it. If you work in the field of law at any point in your life, you recognize that. Facts are messy. The NFL blew it. The NFL should have never been in this business to begin with. But the NFL blew it when they gave Ezekiel Elliott a six-game suspension. I think they gave him a six-game suspension, not because of what he did, but because Roger Goodell wanted to say, see, see, I told you I knew that domestic violence was bad. That's why I suspended Ezekiel Elliott for six games. Ezekiel Elliott was the head on the platter that that Roger Goodell could take to the National Organization of Women the next time they are upset about something going on with the NFL. Roger Goodell can say, see, hey, I know domestic violence is bad. Look at what I did to Ezekiel Elliott. The authorities wouldn't even charge him with a crime, but I suspended him for six games. I cost him millions of dollars. Don't tell me that I don't care about women. Don't tell me that I don't know domestic violence is a big problem. Look at what I did to Ezekiel Elliott. He is a symbol. The problem with that is this. In individual cases, you can't use defendants or the accused as a symbol of larger societal trends. Can't do it. That's when we get in trouble. Look at Duke Lacrosse. So many people wanted rich white guys to rape a black stripper that they didn't even look at the facts of the case. They just automatically assumed that these guys were guilty. When you use individuals to stand in for larger societal issues, you create bias, and oftentimes that leads to a result that isn't reflective of what really happened. That's what just happened to Ezekiel Elliott here. He's a stand-in, a prop that allows the NFL to go out and say, see, domestic violence is bad. Look at what we did to Ezekiel Elliott. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Speaking of in the zone, I'd encourage you guys to go download the podcast. We spent a lot of time talking about Ezekiel Elliott, the controversy surrounding that case. Um, and my belief that the NFL totally blew it in giving him a six-game suspension. But there are three games tonight as we begin NFL Week 2. Ravens, Dolphins, Bills, Eagles, Bucks, Jags. And I am fascinated to see, we were just talking with Dan Wetzel in the last hour about Jay Cutler making his debut for the Miami Dolphins. And also, we've got Blake Bortles with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who seems to be right on the ropes about whether or not he's going to be the starting quarterback for very much longer. So I would argue with you that tonight there are a couple of games that are worth paying attention to. And I'm with Wetzel here. Wetzel says, like, there's somebody out there, and you know him, and maybe it's even you who's like, it's just the preseason guy. Well, it's just the preseason. We spend so much time talking about football when there are no games going on at all that I'm not willing to just give in to it's just the preseason guy. Yes, the NFL should not have four preseason games. It's it's a disaster for people like me who are season ticket holders and have to pay for two extra games that nobody wants to go see, full price, all of those things. I agree with you completely. In my ideal world, I would make the NFL season 18 weeks long, two preseason games, 
and I would extend it and give a couple more bye weeks. I don't know why the NFL is so committed to the idea of only having one bye week. Add in a couple of bye weeks, let these guys recover. If you're going to play Thursday night football, ensure that before the Thursday night football game, everybody's on a bye week. I don't understand how the NFLPA couldn't be behind that. If you got an extra bye week, then you get a week, and then you play on a Thursday, then you get extra days to recover before the next week. It seems like that would make total sense to me. Having said that, I'm going to watch these games, and I'm actually really intrigued to see them. Uh, And I love this video. There are two videos that I've loved this week. Did you guys see the video of the guy throwing out the opening pitch for the Boston Red Sox last night who airmailed it over the plate? I don't, and that's not good audio, right? We couldn't play it on the air and it wouldn't be that, there wouldn't be that much to gain from that, right? You need to see this video if you haven't seen it of the Boston Red Sox pitch. Opening pitch, sales, catcher's head. There is a guy with a camera, poor bastard, standing behind the plate taking a picture of the opening pitch and he takes it right in the balls. I mean, just gets hit. Right in the groin, the the opening pitch. I mean, the guy could not have thrown it any better. And he hit the guy who's taking it. Like, the guy who's taking the picture is obviously not watching exactly where the ball is going. So he's standing there with his camera in front of his face, and he takes the opening pitch right in the groin, right in the balls. And I don't know how he's going to recover from that because the ball was just loping, uh, you know, looping. I mean, it's an incredible video to watch. The other video that I saw that is fantastic is people are just done with Blake Bortles. The Blake Bortles era is officially over in Jacksonville. I really do believe that. And this errant throw, which was caught by, I believe, Bleacher Report, one of their reporters on the sideline, I think the throw was meant for Allen Rossum. Am I correct in that? The Allen uh, Robinson. Allen Robinson. Allen Ro- do I always call, like, haven't I mis- like identified Allen yes, Rossum like a ton over the years? Yes, Allen Robinson. The Jacksonville Jaguars wide receiver is trying to receive this pass, and this is the audio as a Blake Bortles pass sails out of bounds and he can't catch it. You can't even hardly tell what he said because we have to bleep it all out. And by the way, can we get some new FCC restrictions where I can be like, hey, if you want to turn your radio down, turn it down, but here's a guy who's cursing because he can't catch a football. I mean, are we going to scandalize the nation if people heard an angry football player cursing. Like, I, I understand the FCC rules exist, but it ain't 1940 anymore, all right? I could just as easily have told you right before this clip, hey, if you got kids in the car, I'm going to play a 10-second clip of an athlete being upset, and by the way, he's going to curse. And so just turn the radio down if that's going to scandalize your sensitive ears, but here it is. Instead, we play that clip, and, like, the whole thing is just a bleep. Anyway, it sums up the Blake Bortles era, perfectly that should be like the slogan of the Blake Bortles era the whole thing is just a bleep and I don't know if there's any quarterback in the NFL right now who is under more pressure than Blake Bortles as he enters his fourth season now as the quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars and last year was a disaster he throws five interceptions in the first game uh in the first preseason practice and he hasn't looked that good in general and so tonight he is going to play against the Jacks uh, against the Tampa Bay Bucks. And obviously there's a lot of enthusiasm uh, out there about what the Bucks are going to be capable of this year. A lot of new offensive weapons for Jameis Winston. I would say that the Bucks and the Titans are two sides of the same coin. There, both teams going in big on giving weapons to their quarterbacks in the belief that they can take the next step, make the playoffs, maybe even win a game. 
contend for the division title, certainly. Meanwhile, again, Jay Cutler back on the field. The Ravens, I'll say this, guys. The amount of non-coverage of Joe Flacco, what's going on with his injury? That thing has not gotten a lot of attention. And the Dolphins and the Ravens playing the game down in Miami. Jay Cutler back out on the field. We still don't know exactly what's going on with Joe Flacco. And then the other game, Bills-Eagles, Carson Wentz, year two. What is Carson Wentz going to be capable of? Can he take the next step where everybody says, oh, man, this guy's going to be a really good quarterback? Or do teams have enough uh, footage on him that he kind of comes back down to earth? He had a really great start to the season. He looked the part, big, statuesque, in-the-pocket passer. Is he going to continue to evolve? I mean, three pretty interesting games, I think, that obviously we'll be talking about tomorrow. And what's the latest on Flacco, Danny G? The Ravens are saying that they're going to rest him for the entire preseason, but that he should be ready for week one. But do you buy that? Uh, Yeah, I could see him suiting up for week one. See, I just, anytime somebody says we're resting him for the entire preseason, but he should be ready for week one, I assume he's going to miss games. Because if he were really that healthy then you would think you would get him out on the field at least somewhat during the preseason. And by the way, same question going on in Indianapolis right now, except degree, because I think everybody's acknowledging that Andrew Luck is not going to be ready for the start of the NFL season. How hurt is Andrew Luck? What's a reasonable expectation for him as we get closer and closer to the start of the season? I think all those questions are completely in play. Speaking of completely in play, we're about to talk to John Morosi. I'm going to bring in the L.A. crew. The Dodgers are on an unprecedented run and continue to dominate. They won another game in the ninth inning. I believe this is the 164th consecutive game that they've trailed going into the ninth inning that they've won. Have you ever seen anything like this in what the Dodgers are doing in baseball right now? Clay, I have been a Dodgers fan since I was this high, and I'm not even coming up to my knee with my hand. My grandmother took me to Chavez Ravine with a sun umbrella, in her older age, and I got to watch Dusty Baker and Pedro Guerrero as a tiny kid. So I've watched years and years of Dodger baseball. I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. It's sick, an amazing season, like a storybook. But it makes all Dodger fans super nervous because, you know, is it going to continue like this into the postseason? And there's so many naysayers. Oh, you're just going to be like the the Mariners that year. They won 116 games and lost – you know, in what's, the playoffs. What's amazing about this is the Rockies are 67 and 53, and the Diamondbacks are 66 and 54, which are pretty good records, right? In baseball, they are 18 and a half and 19 and a half games back from the Dodgers, who are 85 and 34 right now. 51 games over 500. Ridiculous. I've never seen anything like and, that. And the Dodgers have had 10 walk off wins. They've come from behind 38 times. You, it's, it, I'm a, we're at a loss for words here in L.A. The, the stadium was in a frenzy last night. It was extra packed because it was you Darvish's first, you know, a home game for the Dodgers. And, and that crowd was just insane. So there's a, there's a big-time buzz here in L.A. And now imagine if the whole city could watch the team on TV. That's, <laughs> that's really the sad part of all of this is that still – 65% of the city cannot watch our team on television. Helps with ratings on 570, I bet, a little bit. Oh, though, big time. It? Yeah, it does wonders for our flagship station. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, but I do know that sucks because I've spent a lot of time out in L.A. and I know how frustrating that is for people to not be able to watch the Dodgers, especially when they're 85 and 34. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. John Morosi, he is obviously covering Major League Baseball everywhere. Dodgers now 85 and 34. Is this unprecedented in your time covering a team, John Morosi? Clay, it is not supposed to be this easy, my friend. They are making it look very, very easy right now. Uh, the the uh, the difficulty and the brilliance with which they are winning games from a standpoint of the, the degree of difficulty, I should say, with, with the way they keep coming back late uh, on the rare instances when they are behind, uh, they truly seem to never be out of it. And, and they are on pace to come very close, very, very close, if not surpass, the major league record of 116 victories in the regular season. So we are talking about uh, one of the truly elite regular season teams, Clay, that we have ever seen in our lifetimes or any other, for that matter, uh, right there with the 0-1 Mariners, who, of course, did not win the World Series, and the 98 Yankees, who did. That's basically it. It's the 0-1 Mariners, the 98 Yankees, and the 2017 Dodgers with what they're doing right now, uh, historic, better by the day, and uh, certainly from last night's game, the only concern, uh, the worry, is that you Darvish, he had a back issue last night. We'll see if that ends up becoming something of a long-term concern. But really, Clay, this team is its just historic, and uh, I, I always say that every time I'm listening to this, this team play, whether it's on uh, the, on the Fox Sports Radio in L.A. or watching Joe Davis's call uh, on Spectrum Sportsnet, it's it, it ends with a a victory because it, it just it seems like that is the only conclusion they have, and it, it is remarkable, something that we have not really seen in a very very long time. Me doing math live on the radio is always a danger zone, but right now I believe the Dodgers are 85 and 34, right? That means that they have 42 games remaining, if I'm not mistaken, and they would need to go 32 and 10 to set the all-time record for most wins to break that Mariners record of 116. I think that's correct. You might not have done the math, but I think I did the math correctly there. Is yeah, that feasible? And, and again, they are. They basically, Clay, have to just keep doing what they've been doing, and they are going they're, to do it. I mean, you look at their their record uh, and and the pace that they're on. Um, the next question will will then come: Is this a record worth yes. pursuing? And and that that I think is is the next step because, in my judgment, I do think it it, it is worth going for to a point. You cannot diminish or hurt your ability to win the World Series here. That's that's my concern, and and certainly as you look at Clayton Kershaw and, and his his issues uh, with, with his back. Of course, he's he had a simulated game yesterday. They hope he's going to have a chance to at least come back and start a couple times. But you are not going to push it with the likes of Kershaw or you Darvish or anybody else in their rotation who who certainly has had some health issues this season. You're you're not going to jeopardize their health. I think in the month of September, you you just really, if you're Dave Roberts, if you're the Dodgers, you keep running your guys out there every fifth day, or or, or more likely in September, uh, back them off until it's every sixth day, and that way they're staying sharp and staying healthy. But you just do that. 
Your job is to win the World Series, and anything short of that, clearly for the Dodgers, when you've played this well, is a bit of a is a bit of a uh, uh, a failure for them. I think if they don't win the World Series, so I, I think you do the best you can with with keeping your rotation on turn, but do not, and under any circumstances, uh, push it. Don't don't uh, sort of alter your plan that has. The, the rotation designed to be the healthiest version it can be uh, by the start of October because that, that has to be the, the foremost concern. But short of that, Clay, as long as your starters are, are getting the rest they need uh, and you're not, uh, you're not ex- overextending them in any way, I say go for it because, it, because that, keeps you, that keeps you sharp, that keeps you on your game. I make this point a lot of times, Clay, that since the wild card – rules changed. We got a second wild card starting in 2012. So you have the wild card game that then allows the the top seed to rest for those extra days. The the top seed has lost in the division series just as many times as it has won. And it's because sitting for those 4 days is not always the best strategy and they, they can't change it. It's part of the rules. But that is a difficult thing to ask a team to do, to sit down and wait while a team wins the wild card game, gets hot, and then comes to play you with nothing to lose. That's a dangerous dynamic in baseball because it's the one sport that you don't play better. I say this a lot of times, but it's true. You don't play baseball better by playing harder. Uh, and you also don't play baseball better by having more rest. So those are, those are two things that really run counter to success in the month of October that the Dodgers certainly have to be aware of here as they get towards the stretch. A little bit of math cleanup there. I was pretty good math for me live on the spot here. I was only one game off. There are 43 games left, so they need to go 32-11, and 11, not 32-10, and 10, to actually end up with the best Major League Baseball record of all time. Uh, we talked a lot about this guy in the first half of the season. He's still got 37 home runs, but Aaron Judge seems to be coming back down to earth. What's going on with him? Is this an example of maybe Major League Baseball pitchers figuring him out is this a situation where he's just storing to revert you know like what usually happens right guys who get hot come back down eventually to what their level is the water finds its level is that what's going on here well a, a couple of things i think uh, from a mechanical standpoint and this this point was made by jessica mendoza on sunday Night baseball as well on, on espn on sunday was that the the pitches up in the zone have have become a bit more problematic for him in the last several weeks. Uh, that, that maybe is one issue where he was crushing those pitches before the All-Star break, and, and now they've been a bit vexing to him. That's the mechanical answer. Um, I, I think that from a uh, thematic standpoint, if you will, uh, a mental standpoint, the break did not come at a good time, the All-Star break. I think he was so hot. Then he goes to Miami, wins the Derby, hears nothing but you're the new face of baseball for everybody, and then you have to take some time off and then try to settle back into your routine. That's a challenge, and I don't think it's any. It was any sort of failing on his part. I just think that he was probably due to have a bit of a regression, and uh, once he had all that momentum, it probably was a natural time for it to happen. But as the second half got underway, after having all the positivity, that being said, he hit a ball last night at City Field that still hasn't landed yet. Uh, and, and may may land in your studio in, in about five minutes. It was hit that bad, so it was just hit. It was it was absolutely scalded. So he he still is going to get his home runs. He's going to get his strikeouts, but he but he's still hitting for his power, which I think is a very good sign 
if you're the New York Yankees. So he's a guy, Clay, he's going to have some strikeout in his game. That's part of it. But uh, the power is still there. We are still talking about, I believe, Clay, the the MVP front runner in the American League right now. Maybe Mike Trout, uh, if the Angels make the playoffs, uh, will we'll find a way to, to sort of return to the conversation. Uh, and also Chris Sale has a chance to win the, win the MVP. I think it's probably a three-person race at the moment, Judge, Trout, and Sale. Uh, great arguments to be made by all three. But uh, I think right now Aaron Judge, still it's still his award until someone proves otherwise. We're talking to John Morosi. Last question for you. The NL Central, four teams within five and a half of the lead, the, the, the Pirates, the Cardinals, uh, Milwaukee, and the Cubs, all right there in the mix. What's going to happen in that division? It's a great question, Clay. I, I, I look at it, and the Cubs are still the best team in the game until someone proves otherwise. However, the Cardinals have been very hot of late, and, and their rotation in some respects is more stable than anyone else's, and their lineup has really found its way with the likes of Dexter Fowler. Uh, Tommy Pham has become an outstanding player for them over the last six weeks or so, two months. Uh, Paul DeYoung at shortstop. So the Cardinals, to me, with the way they're playing now, they lost a really tough game last night at Fenway that has a chance to really, I think, take them in the, take them in the wrong direction. But I think it's going to be the Cubs and the Cardinals going down to the very, very last day of the season. Um, and at the moment, I will say the edge still goes to the Cubs, still goes to the defending World Series champions. But let's not forget, too, that the Milwaukee Brewers are very much a factor here as well. They have picked themselves up off the canvas after that really, uh, I think, uh, sort of a, a struggle they had there in the month of July after the All-Star break when they did not make a major move and the Cubs did. So the, the Brewers are doing a, a very valiant job of staying in this race. I believe they're still a factor, but I will give the slight edge to the Cubs in what is, as you point out, Clay, uh, very astutely, really the, the last remaining excellent division race that we've got right now in the game because of the way that the, the, uh, the Red Sox have started pulling away from the, from the Yankees in the American League East. Outstanding stuff as always. We'll talk to you next week. Clay, can't wait. We'll, uh, we'll have to break down the Wolverines' chances now that the Gators have those suspensions there in round one. In, uh, in week one, we'll see. It should be a great game there in Dallas that week. You're, you're in Ann Arbor, by the way. While you're there, that's actually a good question for you. What's the vibe on Michigan Wolverine fans this year? I feel like the Harbaugh enthusiasm the first two years was infectious. Now you're in year three, the team losing a lot of talent. What's the expectation? Well, Clay, uh, I'll tell you this, and again, my, my uh, in-depth analysis cannot in any way approach what, what you could offer on this subject, but I will say this. Uh, last year, in many respects, should have been the year, and, and I think that there are those here who believe uh, that, uh, certainly many, I'm sure, believe that, that Michigan was the rightful victor on that Saturday in Columbus, Ohio, in, in the month of November, um, and that when that did not go the Wolverines' way, that that was a bit of bad luck as much as it was any, any failing on Harbaugh's point. But he did lose three games that really were, were very winnable and, and that, that any one of them really could have changed the narrative of the season, of course, beginning with Iowa and then uh, Florida State at the end, in addition to Ohio State. Uh, I think we all realize, everybody here realizes the, the number of losses they had on defense, and I think that has really tempered the, the, the enthusiasm from a standpoint of the expectations. Uh, there, are, there are many that, that believe, many prognosticators, and again, those that know the sport and know the conference better than I do, that, that Michigan may in fact be the fourth best Big Ten team right now after Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Penn State. So there's, uh, I think, a lot of 
even-handed analysis going on here because they realize just how much NFL talent they lost on both sides of the ball, but especially on defense. So, I, But I think the take-home message is even if Michigan fans expect to be a top-15 team instead of a top-5 team or what they thought last year could have been a top-1 team, uh, it, it certainly is, is, a, is a marked improvement from where things were uh, 10 years ago, which is we're coming up now on the 10th anniversary of the lost Appalachian State. And I think it, it took basically eight years for them to get back and recover from that game. Uh, but, but they have now gotten back to the point, Clay, where they are looked upon, certainly locally and I'm sure nationally, as an annual uh, college football playoff contender. And, and they're back to being that, which is really, Clay, more so than winning the, winning the national championship. People in Ann Arbor forever have craved relevance, have craved being a national powerhouse again. And I think, for better or worse, uh, we can maybe quibble over the details here or there, but I think Michigan is back to being that. And uh, and really, uh, for the years, for the Rich Rod years and the latter Brady Hoke years after uh, the, after sort of the ray of hope in 2011, uh, that's what the fans here have wanted. And I think, by and large, that's what Jim Harbaugh has given them. Outstanding stuff as always, John Morosi. We'll talk to you next week. But first, well, Rick, thanks so much. Look forward to it. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. 